I just finished a uh, biography of Ronald Reagan, the president who had a reputation for being the great communicator. And his communication skills were put to the test toward the end of his presidency, 1987, when he was invited to speak at the 750th anniversary of West Berlin. The Berlin mayor had asked him to come. And his advisors, Reagan's advisors, said, go ahead and do this, but just keep it safe. Okay, say something flowery, say something celebratory, but don't rock the boat, don't you know, get us into any trouble. And uh, Reagan had other ideas. He wanted to challenge the Soviet Union, which at the time was in control of East Berlin, to tear down the wall that separated West and East Berlin from, from each other. And so he wrote that into his speech, and then he handed it to Howard Baker, his chief of staff. Well, Howard looked at it, and he saw this line about tearing down the Berlin Wall, and he thought that was the, uh, it must have been put in by an overly zealous speechwriter, so he struck it out. And he sent the speech to the State Department, and State Department said, yeah, no, you can't have anything like that in there. And so they agreed, needs to, it needs to stay out. And the speech went back to President Reagan, and he said, those are my words, and those words stay in. And if you remember the event, I mean, even if you were born after 1987, you've probably seen this on YouTube, you've uh, talked about it in a history class. President Reagan, 1987, stood at the Brandenburg Gate that separated West and East Berlin in front of a crowd of Germans, and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, who wasn't there, of course, but he's the leader of the Soviet Union, he said, open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And do you recall what happened after that? The wall came down. The wall was torn down and freedom spread into communist-controlled East Germany. So the power of words. The power of words. Today we're going to look at the opportunity God gives us to speak words that have amazing power. And the reason these words are so powerful is because God's Spirit speaks them through us. We're in the third week of a five-part series on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the God who comes to live on the inside of those who surrender their, their lives to Christ. And today's sermon is called The One Who Speaks because that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He speaks. And he especially speaks through the mouths of Christ followers. In fact, in the New Testament book of Acts, the history of the early church, there are 59 references to the Holy Spirit, and in 36 of those 59 references, over 60% of the time, the Holy Spirit is speaking through somebody. Now let me say right up front that the principal way in which God speaks to us is through his written word. It's through the Bible. We want to know what God's saying to us, then we need to become students of this book. The, the Bible is God-inspired. The Bible's infallible. It's, it, it's without error in what it teaches. It's the final authority for our lives. However, the Bible is not the only way that God speaks to us today. I mean, even the Bible itself recounts occasions when God spoke in other ways. He spoke through visions. He spoke through, through dreams. He spoke through angel visitations. On one occasion, he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And God frequently spoke through people all throughout Scripture. 
These other channels of communication, however, that God uses, they're not completely infallible. They're not fully authoritative. They're not like the Bible in that regard. And so we need to use the Bible as our yardstick. This is how we, we measure other forms of communication through which God seems to be speaking to determine whether or not God truly is speaking. Okay, the Bible is our, our yardstick. But, but God does speak today, today through other channels, and Christ followers are one of the Holy Spirit's favorite channels. The Holy Spirit speaks through believers by giving them two important gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Now, we touched on them lightly last weekend. Today, we're going to look at them in greater depth. Two gifts which I believe God has given some of you. So as we begin, I encourage you to take out your outline and fill it in and evaluate whether or not this might be one of the gifts that, that God has given you. So here's the first point. We're going to talk about the gift of tongues, and I'm calling this powerful words that proclaim Christ. Powerful words that proclaim Christ. I want you to turn with me to that book of Acts, chapter 2, the early history or the history of the early church. Now let me set it up for you. Okay, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and before he returned to heaven, he hung out with his closest followers, teaching them what they would need to know. And one of the most important things Jesus taught them is that they were to wait in Jerusalem until he sent them a special gift. He was going to ascend to his throne and he was going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, don't leave town until you get the Holy Spirit because there's no way you can follow me there is no way you can complete the mission I've given you without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we pick up the story today in Acts chapter 2. Let me begin reading at verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So Jesus' followers on the day of Pentecost are hanging out together waiting for the Holy Spirit. Now, just an aside here. The, the day of Pentecost, this is what we're celebrating this weekend at Christ Community Church took place about seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Okay, th this was also a time when the Jews were celebrating the festival of harvest. Now, the festival of harvest, this annual event, it commemorated a couple of things. Number one, it, it commemorated the harvest, the annual harvest. You know, that there were crops in the fields, that God was feeding his people. But it also commemorated an ancient event. Hundreds of years earlier, God had met with Moses at the top of Mount Sinai and provided his people with his moral and religious laws. And so the festival of harvest was celebrating the giving of food and the giving of God's laws. But something's about to happen. God's about to give the best gift of all. A gift that's better than food, a gift that's better than his moral laws. God's about to give the Holy Spirit. So continuing on, verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together, together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? 
So the Holy Spirit shows, shows up on the day of Pentecost, and there are three visible evidences of his arrival. The first evidence, if you look at the text we just read, verse 2, there's a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Bible scholars say this is a, a very mild translation of the original language. It was more like a tornado. That's what the language suggests. That the Holy Spirit filled these Christ, Christ followers with the power of a tornado because they were about to be sent out on a very special mission of being Jesus' witnesses. Second evidence of the Holy Spirit's arrival. Look at the text again, verse 3. Flames of fire, tongues of fire that hovered over the heads of these Christ followers. Uh, J.D. Greer, who's written a book on the Holy Spirit that Clayton and I are promoting throughout the course of this series. It's called Jesus Continued. But it's on the Holy Spirit, a book we, we've got at Resource, and a book I'd recommend if you want to read one book on the Holy Spirit, this is the book to read. He says in the book throughout the Old Testament, whenever God's presence descended on a place, he did so in the form of a flame. He appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He led Israel through the wilderness by a pillar of flame. He consumed Mount Sinai in fire when he gave the law to Moses. Solomon saw the fire of God settle into the Holy of Holies when he commissioned the temple. See, again and again, God shows up and there's fire. So when the Holy Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost, he signals his arrival with fire. What's the third evidence that God was in the house? Look at verse 4. And all these Christ followers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this is the first reference in the New Testament to the gift of tongues. One, one quick word of clarification here. There, there are actually two kinds of the gift of tongues in Scripture. This is the first kind. We're going to look at the second kind of the gift of tongues in a few minutes when we get to the second point. But the, the first kind of the gift of tongues is this. It's the Holy Spirit enabling Christ followers to speak in recognizable human languages which they've never learned. Okay, the ability to speak in recognizable human languages which have never been learned. I mean, you've got to imagine this scene here in Acts 2. There, there, there's a festival going on in Jerusalem. Historians tell us that there were probably thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of extra people in the city for this, re religious visitors, and they've come from all over the then-known world, and suddenly this group of Galilean peasants, these followers of Jesus, most of whom have never been you know, more than 50 miles from their hometown, they stand up and start speaking in the languages of all these people. You know, I, I love what J.D. Greer in his book on the Holy Spirit says about this. He said, it would be like the, the cast of Duck Dynasty suddenly speaking fluent French or Mandarin. Okay? <laughs> I mean, you, you get the, this is, this is, wow, this is crazy. But that's not all there is to this gift of tongues. I mean, this gift of communication also focuses on some specific content. You see, tongues speakers have, have a very particular message to proclaim. Drop down to verse 14, if your Bible's open to Acts 2. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11. Okay, so you got the 12 apostles minus Judas, Right? Peter raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So the gift of tongues has everybody's attention. 
And Peter stands up and he says, okay, let me, let me explain. Listen to what I say. What does Peter say? We don't have the time to read everything he says here, but drop down to verse 22. Let me give you a sampling. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This is just seven weeks after Jesus has been crucified. They know about Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter stands up, and he starts talking about Jesus. He starts presenting the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. Okay, he took the penalty that your sins deserve, but God raised him from the dead. He's able to offer you today forgiveness. He's able to offer you brand new life. That's the message of those who speak this with this gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2. Now, let me frankly admit that uh, this particular kind of the gift of tongues, I'm not sure that I see a whole lot of evidence for it today. Okay, as I, I look around the world, I see missionaries going out to remote, remote corners of the earth. I don't see any instances where uh, people suddenly find themselves speaking actual known languages that they've never learned. Now, Pastor Eric Hansen, our missions pastor, tells me he knows of some cases where that's, you know, that's actually happened. I'm not aware of those myself, but... but for the most part, what I see is when Christ followers take the good news of Jesus around the world, they have to learn. It's a very tedious process of learning the language they don't know so that they can eventually speak it and then translate the Bible into it. That's what typically happens. However, I wonder if we don't see traces of this Acts 2 kind of tongues in the world today. You say, what do you mean traces? You know, when I look around, I see people who seem to have been given a gift to learn languages easily. See, I, you know, I met a woman from our church a week or so ago. She introduced herself to me. She said, I teach Spanish at one of the local high schools. And I said to her, I said, you, t you teach Spanish? You ought to go on one of our GO teams to Nicaragua. And she looked at me and she said, already been, twice. And I was immediately jealous because the last time I was in Nicaragua and I was addressing a group of pastors, you know, I had to speak through a translator. And, and I spent time learning Spanish in high school and then taking additional semesters to fulfill my language requirement in college, and I still need a translator. I wanted this woman's gift of tongues, so to speak, to be able to communicate in Espanol. Okay. Now, some of you may have been given a facility at, at language. Let me say to you, if you're a Spanish-speaking person, consider a go-team trip to Nicaragua, okay? And, and besides that, even locally, you know, we serve in community uh, impact ministries in places like Elgin and Aurora and DeKalb where there are Spanish-speaking people. We could put your Spanish to good use. So this may be a trace this ability to learn foreign languages of the, the Acts 2 gift of, of tongues. Let me throw out one other possible trace of this first gift of tongues. and you know, Maybe you have it. Maybe you have a special ability to adapt to foreign cultures. 
Okay, e even if you can't speak the language. And going back to Eric Hansen, our international ministries director, Eric's like this. I mean, I'm convinced you could drop Eric anywhere in the world and he would immediately find himself on the same page with the people of that culture. That's just how he's wired. Even if he has to speak through, uh, through a translator, an amazing adaptability. And some of you are like that. I mean, we, we could send you on a go team. We could send you to the Czech Republic or Sierra Leone or, or Bangladesh. And you immediately make friends with people in that culture. Is this a trace of the gift of tongues? Acts 2, gift of tongues. Maybe. Maybe. I would just say to you, if you think you might have a trace of this gift, please, please consider going on a GO team. You know, we, we've got sign-ups going up for GO team trips for this summer. They're going on right now. Most of those teams have been filled out. You know, we have 300 to 400 people go every year on a GO team trip. So most of those teams are filled out, but I understand we still have 20 to 25 open spots on teams going to Brazil, Haiti, and Greece. In Greece, we're not ministering to Greeks, we're ministering to Syrian refugees. So if you can carve out some time in July or August, a week to 10 days of time, go on a GO team trip, sign up today. Okay, number two, let's talk about the second kind of the gift of tongues, and I'm calling this one passionate words that worship God. Passionate words that worship God. Have you ever been in a situation where you, you were so overjoyed or, or so overawed that you were at a total loss for words? Ever been in a situation like this where you wanted to say something, but you had a sense that whatever you would say just wouldn't do justice to what you were experiencing? Okay, maybe you were catching your first glimpse of the Rocky Mountains. You're looking at these majestic 14,000-foot snow-covered peaks against a blue sky, and it just takes your breath away. Or maybe you're witnessing the birth of your, your first baby. Or maybe you're rocking out at this incredible U2 concert down at Soldier Field. Or, or maybe you're watching your favorite team do one of those come from behind victories in the championship game or maybe you're walking your daughter down the aisle at her wedding I mean, have you ever had one of these experiences where you were bursting inside but absolutely speechless I mean you, you just couldn't find the words to adequately express what you were, you were feeling well, some of us who have come to know God through Jesus Christ, there are times when we are so overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God, by the goodness of God, that we just don't know what to say. We want to tell God how much we love him. But words just, they won't do. And some Christ followers who reach this impasse suddenly find themselves praising God in an unknown heavenly language. God's Spirit has given them this second kind of the gift of tongues. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to park in 1 Corinthians 14 for the rest of our time. So 1 Corinthians 14, the gift of tongues that we're about to look at in this chapter is different from the gift of tongues that we just took a look at in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this second kind of the gift of tongues has to do with passionate words that worship God. Passionate words that worship God. In fact, people who have this gift will sometimes describe it as their, their worship language or their prayer language. And, and Paul 
puts it in a nutshell in the second verse of 1 Corinthians 14. So let me read this capsule summary of the second kind of the gift of tongues to you from verse 2. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, a short verse, but did you see several differences between this gift of tongues and the gift of tongues we looked at in Acts chapter 2? Okay, in Acts chapter 2, the tongues speakers are directing their words at who? Whom? Yeah, people. But here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, no, it's being directed. This is speech being directed at God. In Acts chapter 2, everybody understands what's being said in their own language. Here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, Paul says, nobody understands what these tongue speakers are saying. In Acts chapter 2, the content, the, the, the content's the basic good news about Jesus. He died and he rose again, and you need to put your trust in him. Here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, what is it? The content is the mysteries of God. Okay, so it's a different kind of the gift of tongues. Now, just an aside here. This particular gift of tongues has caused more contention among Christ followers than any other spiritual gift. Some of you know that. Okay, at, at one extreme, there are people who, Christ followers, who are totally gooned out by this gift. It's just so, so weird to them. They, you know, people running around rattling away in heavenly languages, that's bizarre. Some, 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 some even say, no, that's demonic. There's got to be demons behind that. And so they do their best to prove from, from Scripture that this gift is no longer viable today. It's passed from the scene. And if, from my perspective, they take the Scriptures, you know, to back up their point, very much out of context. You know, here at Christ Community Church, we believe that the Bible endorses this kind of the gift of tongues, that it's still around today, that it hasn't faded from the scene. Now, in fact, one defender of the gift of tongues is a guy named Craig Keener. Craig has a Ph.D. in the New Testament. He's a really smart guy. Let me read to you what Dr. Keener says about his own experience with the gift of tongues. He writes, I was converted from atheism, from an unchurched background. I had very little knowledge of Christianity apart from the basic gospel message through which I'd been converted. I had never heard of speaking in tongues. Two days after my conversion, I was so overwhelmed with a sense of God's majesty that I had to praise him. And God was so great that I felt that only he could inspire me with the words to praise him. And since it was obvious that God knows all languages, it made sense to me when I heard the worship coming out in another language. Dr. Keener concludes, he says, this is a gift that has remained with me in my private prayer life one that has at times protected my faith in the God of the Bible when I faced academic challenges to that faith. Now friends, th those are the words of a New Testament scholar who says that the gift of tongues is alive and well and it's supported by the Bible, w which is what we believe here at Christ Community Church. However, at the opposite extreme, there are some Christ followers, most notably from charismatic or Pentecostal circles, who teach that every believer, every single believer ought to speak in tongues. In fact, this particular gift, they say, is the evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit. It's the evidence. 
So if you find yourself in a circle of people like this and they find out that you, you don't have the gift of tongues, most likely they will offer to pray for you. And they will pray for you, they say, until you get it. And in some instances, and I'm not making this up, they will say, just let your lips hang loose and start to speak gibberish and in a while the gift of tongues will kick in. Friends, this kind of nonsense is nowhere in the Bible. Yes, the Holy Spirit does give this gift of tongues to Christ followers today. But, but it's only one of 24 gifts, which means that some Christ followers are going to be given this gift, while most are going to be given some other spiritual gift, one of the other 23. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, where the gift of tongues is mentioned more frequently than in any other Bible passage, Paul is not writing to promote the gift of tongues. He's writing to correct the Corinthians' overemphasis on this particular gift. They were huge fans of tongues, and Paul wanted to rein them in. So let me suggest three cautions, and they come out of 1 Corinthians 14, for us at Christ Community Church when it comes to the gift of tongues. So if you feel that this is a gift that God has given you, here are three ground rules, if you would, that come out of 1 Corinthians 14. The first is this, don't make a big deal out of tongues. Okay, if this is your gift, don't make a big deal about it. I told you last week that there are, there are actually four gifts lists in Scripture, and each one is a sampling. No two, no two lists are alike. You know, Paul, and in one case, Peter, they just throw out some random gifts. You know, these are the kinds of things that the Spirit of God empowers people to do. Interestingly, though, even though there's a random order to those gifts lists, on the lists where the gift of tongues appears a couple of times, it's always last. Dead last, as if the New Testament is, is trying to deliberately downplay this gift. Now, why does Paul downplay the gift in chapter 14 here? Well, in, in chapter 14, Paul downplays the gift because he says, you know, tongues is used to edify, used to benefit an individual who has that gift, but people with other gifts build up the whole church. See, everybody benefits. Look, look at verse 4 of chapter 14. He says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. Yeah, it would be great if everybody had every gift. But I would rather have you prophesy because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue, tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Paul says, I'd rather have you, you know, with gifts that build others up. This gift of tongues, tremendously beneficial to you personally. But not quite as important as those gifts that build up everybody. Second caution, don't use tongues in weekend services. Remember what I said earlier about the critics of this gift, that they're, they're, they're gooned out by the gift of tongues. It's just too weird for them. Well, Paul seems to think that there's some legitimacy to this concern. Oh, he's not worried that Christ followers will be gooned out because he knows that all of us have come to know a God who sometimes does wild and crazy things. Okay, so we're, we're, we ought not to be surprised by this. But Paul's concerned about unbelievers. He's concerned about those who are exploring the faith and wander into our church services. Are they going to be turned off? You know, look at what Paul says down in verse 23. 
He says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yeah, this is really going to wig him out, Paul says. And so taking our cue from the Apostle Paul at, at Christ Community Church, we, we've concluded that our weekend services, you know, to, to which people who are not yet Christ followers, people who, who are, are still exploring the faith are invited to come, our weekend services are not the best place for people with the gift of tongues to exercise this particular gift. You know, it, it would just confuse outsiders, and we want outsiders to feel welcome here. And so, so our recommendation is that people who have this gift of tongues would use that gift of tongues when they're worshiping or praying in private. Okay, this is kind of a personal gift. Paul says it's for your personal edification. Now, there, there, there's one caveat here. If it seems appropriate, then they might use this gift in, say, a community group setting where there are other Christ followers. But this caveat comes with a third caution here. The third caution is only use tongues publicly when there's an interpreter present. So the gift of interpretation is another spiritual gift. Drop down to verse 27. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So Paul says on some occasions where you know, someone is in a group of fellow Christ followers and the gift of tongues is being utilized, then there ought to be an interpreter present so everybody gets to enjoy what's being said. Otherwise, this is a gift for your own edification. Use it at home. Number three. Okay, there's a, another gift we're going to look at, and that's the gift of prophecy, and I'm calling this personalized words that benefit others. Personalized words that benefit others. Uh, J.D. Greer, in his book on the Holy Spirit, tells a story about Justin, a young guy in his church. One day, Justin is walking through the city park of the town where he lives, and he notices a woman, an Indian woman, in a sari, sitting there by herself. And as he looks at her, he suddenly has this impression that he ought to go speak to her. And he ought, he ought to say, you know, although your brother has just died, God wants you to know that he loves you and he will never forsake you. Now, Justin has never had anything like this happen to him before. He's never had an impression like this. And so he immediately says to himself, there's no way I'm going to go up to somebody I don't know and say something like this. So he leaves the park. Later on that day, he's at a local Starbucks across town, different part of town. He walks in. Who do you think he sees? The Indian lady's there. And he's like, okay, God, I'll do it this time. It's obvious you want me to say something. And so he walked up to her and he said, excuse me, ma'am, I've, you know, I've never done anything like this before, but I, I feel strongly impressed that God has a message for you. And he, here's the message. He wants you to know that although your brother has died, God loves you and he'll never forsake you. And this lady stared back at him wide-eyed for a moment, and then she dropped her head and she began to cry. And she said, how could you know? How could you know? She said, I, I have a cousin who grew up in my home. We, we were raised together, and so I called him my brother. And he just died in India. I got the news. 
And she said, but I've, I've moved to the States. I'm all alone. I don't know anybody here. And so Justin went on to talk to her not only about a God who cared enough to send her the message that he loves her and he's going to be with her, but he talked about Jesus and that led to additional conversations and that led eventually to this woman surrendering her life to Jesus as Savior and King. See, that, that's one example of this spiritual gift of prophecy at work. The Holy Spirit gives Christ followers who have this gift special messages to pass on to others. Now, now when, when I say special messages, let, let me say this is not like the gift of teaching, preaching, you know, where someone is gifted by the Holy Spirit to study the Bible in order to communicate its message to others. Now, prophecy is a bit different. It's, it's a, a more spontaneous message that pops into a Christ follower's mind, and it's usually a little bit more specific, a little more personalized than a general principle from the Bible. So let's take a look at this gift of prophecy from 1 Corinthians 14, and it begins in verse 1. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Drop down to verse 3. Paul continues, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Here's the gift of prophecy at work, strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now, before we go any further, let me distinguish this New Testament gift of prophecy and the practice of prophecy in the Old Testament. See, in the, in, in the Old Testament, the words of the prophets, God's spokesmen, were absolutely infallible. And by infallible, I mean they spoke with 100% accuracy. In fact, if a prophet ever said that something's going to happen and it didn't happen, you know what you were to do with that prophet? You were to stone him. You were to put him to death because he was an imposter claiming to have a word from God. So, so the words of the prophets of the Old Testament, they were infallible. They, they were also authoritative. They would often begin their messages by declaring, Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, and the words of many of these prophets were eventually collected in the Bible, which is the final authority for the life of a believer. You know, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. You know, God-breathed. This, this is God's word. Thus says the Lord. However, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament doesn't carry the same clout as the Old Testament prophets did. It's, it's not infallible. It's not authoritative. It's not like the Bible. Let, let, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. I want you to drop down to verse 29. Verse 29, Paul says, here, here's how the gift gets exercised at, at church. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, okay, if a, a new thought pops into the mind from God, someone who's sitting there, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. I want you to note a couple of things about the New Testament gift of prophecy in these verses. You know, first, according to verse 29, when Christ followers are prophesying in public, the other the other people who are present should do what? I mean, look at the closing line of this verse. What should other people do? I want you to call it out. What should they do? They should listen and they should weigh 
carefully what is said. Underline that. Weigh carefully. In other words, people with a New Testament gift of prophecy, they're, they're not always going to be 100% correct. You know, not everything they say is going to be completely helpful. Some of their message is going to be spot on, but not necessarily all of it. So we've got to weigh carefully what is said. So by, by way of analogy, the, the New Testament gift of prophecy is kind of like the New Testament gift of preaching. So when I stand up here on a weekend and I preach to you from God's word, is everything I say 100% correct? I'd like to think so, but some of my you know, corny jokes and my illustrations, you know, no. And so you have a responsibility. You're to compare what I say with the word, the infallible, authoritative word of God to see if it matches up. And if it does, what matches up, you take it to heart. But there's, you know, there's going to be some bad mixing in with some good. You could say that about the gift of Christian counseling. If you go to a Christian counselor who hopefully is using God's word, don't believe everything they tell you. Weigh it against God's word. The same holds true for this gift of prophecy. You know, the gift of prophecy is going to bring you a message from God, but not always going to be 100% accurate. Now, the, the other thing about this gift that I find interesting here is what Paul says in verses 30 and 31. He says, if someone is prophesying and another person with his gift suddenly gets a message from God, and it pops into their head, then the first person should sit down and give the second person a turn. Friends, this is not something that would have been said about Old Testament prophets. I mean, an Old Testament prophet had a word from God, and everybody buddy better sit down, shut up, and listen, and don't interrupt until the dude's finished. So, so the New Testament gift of prophecy, this spontaneous, this specific personalized message from God, it's not on the same level as the words of the Old Testament prophets. It's not on the same level as the Bible. You get it? Good. So let me give you a few ground rules about utilizing this New Testament gift of prophecy. And keep in mind that some of you have been given this gift. You, you may not even know that this is a gift God's given you. You're finding that out right now. But here are some ground rules for the use of this gift. First is this. Expect. Expect to receive messages from God for others. Now, I, I do want to apply this First directive to everyone here who's a Christ follower. Not only to those of you who suspect you may have the gift of prophecy. See, there are some spiritual gifts that operate to a lesser extent in the life of every Christ follower. Okay, let, let me explain what I mean here. You take the gift of evangelism. Okay, is evangelism a responsibility of every Christ follower? To tell others about Jesus? Of course it is. The New Testament is replete with directives to do that. However, some have been given the gift of evangelism, which means they have kind of a souped-up ability to do it. When, when they do it, they're super effective. The same thing could be said for the gift of prayer or the gift of giving. Should every Christ follower pray? What do you say? Should every Christ follower give? Okay, but some, obviously, because they appear on the gifts list, have gifts of prayer, intercession, giving. You know, an intensified ability to do that, that. It's the same with the gift of prophecy. Some have been given this gift, but to some extent, every Christ follower should expect occasionally to hear messages from God for others. 
You know, the one with the gift has perhaps more frequency with which they hear from God, maybe greater clarity. But every one of us ought to be listening to the Holy Spirit with respect to messages for others. Sometimes these messages will come during a time of prayer. You know, you're praying for somebody else. And all of a sudden, you, you, know, you get a, a wise insight for their life or maybe a spiritual hunch, maybe a premonition of some sort. You know, I, I could tell you that over the years, while, while I don't suspect that I have this particular gift of prophecy, over the years as I prayed for people, you know, I've had the, the Spirit of God impress on me everything from, you know, that person's really lonely right now, you need to pick up the phone and call, and I'll call and it's like, wow, I'm so glad you called, I needed this right now. I've had everything from that to occasionally the spirits say, you know, that guy's cheating on his wife. His wife doesn't know. Nobody else knows. You need to go confront him. And I've found situations where I've addressed that particular issue and found out bingo right on the money. So, so sometimes it will come, to, this impression will come during a time of prayer. Sometimes you'll just be in conversation with, with others. But if you're constantly praying, Holy Spirit, just speak to me through this person. It may be your dry cleaner as you drop off your shirts. It may be a friend as you're hanging out at Starbucks and sipping coffee together. It may be the members of your community group that benefit from this because you're listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, if you've got something you want to say through me to others, I'm all ears. Here, here's the second directive, though. Say what the Holy Spirit gives you to say. Now, this seems like an obvious follow-up point to the first, first point, you know, expect messages. I mean, do, do I even need to say, so speak up? I think I do, because I think most of us aren't used to think, thinking in terms of the Holy Spirit speaking through us. So, so if we do get a message from the Holy Spirit for, for, for somebody, we're liable to dismiss it as some random thought. I mean, we can't go around saying out loud everything that comes to our minds, can we? That's not a good idea. See, everything that pops into your head is not from the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? You say, well, how do I know what is from the Holy Spirit? How do I know what is from the Holy Spirit? Well, remember Justin? You know, God convinced him that he had a message that he had to share with that Indian lady. So if you suspect you have a message from God for, for somebody, maybe it's a word of encouragement or a word of direction or a word of warning, don't keep it to yourself, say it. And some of you are still wondering, you're, you're saying, but you said that the, you know, it's not always 100% accurate, so what if I'm wrong? What, what if this message isn't from the Holy Spirit? Let, let me just say, that's why you don't introduce your message with the words of an Old Testament prophet. You don't say, thus says the Lord. And, you know, we laugh at that, but I've been in some charismatic circles where here's the co common lingo. It's, I've got a word from the Lord for you. It's really intimidating. It's a word from the Lord. He almost puts it on par with God's book, doesn't it? See, I'm very uncomfortable with that sort of language. So if I feel like God's given me a message for somebody, I'll typically introduce it you know, like this. I'll say, Hey, I was praying for the, the praying for you the other day, and this you know this thought popped into my head. Just wanted to share with you. If it's from God, they'll understand it's from God. I don't have to say I think this is from God. Well, you know, although occasionally I'll say, you know, I got an idea. I don't know if God put it in my heart or not, but let me just share it with you. 
So we do it with a certain amount of, of gentleness. And I have a good friend who has the gift of prophecy. You know, on an occasion when she's been in a church service, she'll, she'll have this sense that God has a message for somebody who's sitting right around her, even people she's never met before. On one occasion, you know, the message was that that young woman, she's pregnant, and she's worried about losing the baby. And on another occasion, that, that guy has recently gotten out of jail, and, and he feels all alone in the world. And so afterwards, she has... She's tried out her hunch by engaging those people in conversation and discovered the hunch was right on the money. And then she had an opportunity to bring a word from the Holy Spirit, a word of encouragement. Here's a third and a final caution, directive. Evaluate so-called prophecies carefully. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Really important verse here. Paul warns us, way carefully what is said. In other words, friends, it's okay to be skeptical. In fact, J.D. Greer, who's written this book on the Holy Spirit, he's the pastor of a, a, a large church, a church that promotes the gift of prophecy. He says that 60% of the things that people tell him they've heard from God, he tends not to believe came from God. Okay, so this is, this is a pastor who's promoting the gift and saying, hey, a lot of times... I mean, how many, of you, how many of you could guess that pastors hear a lot of people telling them a word from God? Okay? So I prayed about this, pastor, and I think God wants me to say this to you. Okay? And what I've discovered, and I hope this doesn't insult you to hear this, sometimes it is a message from God, and sometimes it's not. So how, how do you know? You weigh it carefully. So you go back to the scripture. Does it conflict with anything the Bible says? You, you go to other counselors. You know, I go to other pastoral staff. Hey, here's something someone shared with me, and we talk about it. You go to prayer, and you ask the Holy Spirit, you know, if this is from you, would you sort of confirm it? You know, one, one quick illustration, and then I'll close. Over 30 years ago, just before we started Christ Community Church, uh, Sue and I, we were pastoring a church out on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and we announced to this congregation that we were going to leave. We were going to go start a church in a small town called St. Charles, Illinois. And the very next week, a couple from that church, good friends of ours, arrived on our doorstep, and we invited them in, and they said, we've got a word from the Lord for you, and the Lord is saying through us that you're not to go to St. Charles, you're to stay here and pastor this church. Wow, it's somewhat intimidating. So we weighed carefully, you know, what is scripture telling us to do? What are other advisors and godly people telling us we should do? We took it to prayer. God, by your spirit, are you putting the brakes on this? I, I, I want to tell you in closing that I'm very glad that turned out not to be a message from God, and I got to come to St. Charles, you know? So God, yeah. Now, if God has given you this gift and you've got a message from God, even if you don't have the gift, but you're, you're in prayer and God impresses things on you to share with others, follow through. But, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to be accurate 100% of the time. And all of us are challenged to weigh carefully what is said. But think what would happen, friends, if God's spirit began speaking through us through the gift of tongues that... that you know, the traces of it are an increased ability to adapt to another culture and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Or we have the gift of tongues to worship more passionately. 
Or we have the gift of prophecy to speak words that build others up. You know, we want to see the full orb operation of the Holy Spirit of God at Christ Community Church. Now, I'm going to close in prayer, and as I close in prayer, I'm going to ask our campus pastors to come up and close in prayer at our other campuses. Would you stand together with me? If you're a guest, uh, as I close in prayer, I'm going to be making my way back to our welcome center. It's the glass-walled room at the back of the auditorium. I'd love to meet you. Please come back and say hello. On the far side of the railings, you see people already gathering there. That's our prayer team. Anything going on in your, in your life that needs prayer? I told you last week about a really big prayer request in my life. Man, go to these people, and they will pray for you, and God will intervene. So let me, let me close right now and give you a sort of blessing along the lines of what we've just been talking about. So hold your hands out. Let's bow before God. May God give you the gift of tongues to adapt to other cultures in a way that allows you to proclaim the good news about Jesus, to go on go teams and thrive. May God give you the gift of tongues through which you can express more passionately your worship to him in heavenly language that has no limitations. May God give you the gift of prophecy. May he give us all the ability to hear from him Holy Spirit-directed messages for others that will encourage them and build them up, edify them. The Holy Spirit of God, we're so grateful that when Jesus left the planet, we didn't lose. We didn't lose God. We got the Holy Spirit who comes to reside in our lives. And he gifts us and he empowers us. And we just want to say thank you for this gift. And we pray that whether our gift is one of those that was mentioned today or it's some other gift or a gift mix like what we talked about last weekend, that we would begin to operate in the power of those gifts so that we could... Watch you mightily work through us in a world that desperately needs salvation. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.